All right, HCC, how are you guys doing today? Man, it's good to see you. Kind of a chilly uh, January day, but man, we're so glad that you're here. You're joining us for week three in a new teaching series called Mending Fences. And it's kind of got this great dual idea, dual notion, of both on the one hand, like you usually think of when you think of mending fences, is mending a relationship, reaching out, trying to make that right. Another way, we're also thinking of literally the fence that has holes in it, that needs to be shored up, needs to be mended so that our hearts don't stray. And so it's been a great time just kicking off this series. If you've been with us the last two weeks, or if this is your first time in this series with us, we really wanna welcome you. By the way, I just loved our set tonight for our worship, from our worship team. Can we thank them? They do such a great job. And I just am so grateful for the way they help me just kind of focus my heart and my attention. A working definition I use often for the word worship, because worship seems to be a word that we just use in church and not sure is uh, the idea of being preoccupied with God. And they help me be preoccupied with him. I hope they're helping you with that as well. Well, if you have a Bible today, would you make your way to Ephesians chapter four? Ephesians chapter four. If you have your notes, have those out ready to go. You can tell that this um, teaching series has a graphic design that is very much to do with those little white, fluffy, woolly things called sheep. And we're talking about that concept. And this week, I was just so incredibly blessed. A very kind, generous person from our church sent me this print. Take a look up on the screen. And you'll obviously know this is from their website. And so it's not intended to be uh, maybe even demonstrated this way. But man, I love this. When I saw it, I was just like, this is so beautiful to what this series is about related to the relationship we're called to have with the shepherd. It's very simple. And the simple title to that was called My Sheep Hear My Voice. And I think about if you saw the posture of the lamb, it wasn't just, it wasn't walking out in front of the shepherd. It wasn't lagging too far behind, but maybe most importantly, it was looking up. Where you're going is where I'm following. And when we read passages like we began this series with from Psalm 23, when we begin, uh, we began with John chapter 10, Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. This is the way he wants to relate to us. The way he calls us into relationship to be his sheep within his fold. The problem is, if you've been a Christian for very long, no doubt you've had people that you have been doing life with in Christian community, people you served with, people that were in your small group, extended family members, maybe even your own kids who have turned their back on their faith and walked away from God. You don't know if it's just gonna be a season, it could seem like it might be forever. And, and that has hurt you because you love them and you're concerned about their well-being, about being a part of the fold and being under the good shepherd's care. And so today as we dive in, we're gonna look, we kind of set up last week four of the, the most consistent reasons. They're not the only ones. And they're often not the only one for an individual. It's usually a, a, a compilation of a few that cause someone to leave their faith. And the first of those that we're gonna look at is this concept of fear. We'll define that in just a second. 
But I was thinking about, I had an opportunity, it was really a powerful one, and what I like to call HDC 1.0. This is what I call my time, my 14 years that I absolutely loved with High Desert Church originally. And my 1.0 experience, and I guess now it's about eight years ago, maybe around, give or take, I had this incredible invitation to come and visit with a group here in the high desert that gathers weekly that are self-proclaimed atheists. It was me, another Christian friend, and a group of atheists in a room. And we were invited to come. I thought, okay, let's do that. I remember walking in and there were so many dynamics to our time together. We were probably there two and a half, three hours. I can't tell you all of it, but what we did, I think we started the right way. And it was basically this, look, we've never met. You don't know anything about us. We don't know anything about you. Could we just begin by sharing our stories? Just brief, two, three minute version of your story. And we began, we would end at us. We'd go around this, I guess, big square we sat in. And as we were going around, there were about 15 atheists in the room. They ranged from teenagers all the way to senior citizens. And what caught me by the time we hit person number five and would catch me again at person eight and 12 and ultimately 15 was that every single, every single one of them without doubt had experienced what we'll talk about today called church hurt or spiritual abuse. Not a single one of them became an atheist only because of things that they began to think or read or study a lot of it had to do with how they'd been treated by God or his people. And that's huge. Because the reality is you can experience something like feeling like God doesn't care and doesn't know, feeling like God's people are coming after you. And it might not make you an atheist, but it sure can make you a functional one. Walking away from the church, walking away from God and having just nothing to do with any of it. And so here's our goal. It's our goal every week in this series is really threefold. Number one, we wanna help us, we wanna help ourselves better understand why would somebody fear the shepherd? Why would somebody fear other sheep? But then secondly, we wanna look at our own faith and we wanna grow that. We wanna fortify, we wanna build our own understanding of the reality that those things may or have already happened to us. So how does our faith grow? How does that fence get mended in our own life? And then thirdly though, and this is what I love probably so much about this series, God, how can you better equip me for the person who either was or is in my oikos, my relational world, who's walked away from you, how can you better prepare me to reach out to them? That's what we're doing. I'm excited to dive in with you today as we look at this passage and see what God has for us. Take a look in your notes. Number one, devastating loss and damaging relationships can cause some to stray from their faith. Devastating loss and damaging relationships can cause some to stray from their faith. Your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. This is what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now you might read that passage with me today and go, that doesn't just scream of what I think our our topic is. This idea of being fearful of the way you've been treated seemingly by the shepherd or fearful of his people. But what I want you to know is passages, words very similar to what I just read are found in many of Paul's letters to the churches. And what I find interesting, sometimes we can read right over them. He's giving them directions. He's giving them instructions of how to relate to each other. But pay attention that knowing this is not just written to the Ephesian Christians as though they're odd, but written to the Corinthians, written to the Galatians, written to the Colossians. And this is what should bubble up from that idea. Why would Paul have to say, get rid of all this horrific way of treating one another if they already had? That's silly, right? It's silly to waste breath, waste ink, telling a group of people to stop doing what they've already stopped doing unless they haven't stopped doing it. And so the reality is what we can kind of gain from that is in most church, every church I would say, but most that we're written to that we have record of, there is always this corrective language of stop acting like you used to. And the way that you are brutally treating other people, this is different, there's a change. Look in our notes. Even though we've been redeemed by God and the process of transformation is going on in our lives, we will still injure and hurt one another in Jesus's church. Catch this, it's not a cop-out. It's not saying when just shrugging your shoulders, like, well, what can you do? Man, we can do a lot. Paul's already instructed them, get rid of that type of behavior. It's not normal, it's not nominative in the way you should be acting now as a redeemed son or daughter within the family of God. There is an expected change that should be going on, and yet Paul is aware that that changing is not done. And sadly, we aren't, by any stretch of the imagination, complete, and there's an ongoing transformation process within us. A powerful part of this passage in Ephesians, by the way, that helps you realize it's not just meant to shrug your shoulders and go, what can you do? Paul identifies and forgive and forgive one another just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. The expectation is that there's actually something to do. Watch this, not if you're hurt or offended by someone else in God's family, but when because I'm gonna say that's what it's gonna be. It's not an if, it's a when. And when you are, and when there is a godly response of dealing, of of confrontation in a way that is seeking to reconcile the relationship that is covered ultimately by forgiveness, the way we as men and women in the family of God have been forgiven, That's how injury can be healed and we can move on. I'm gonna say this, a really important part of this conversation, especially about church hurt or spiritual abuse, comes down to this idea of not beginning to think we've only received it. That's what happens. 
You can be so hurt and injured by fellow followers of Jesus in a local church or a Christian ministry that you can begin to believe I'm the, they're all doing this to me. I've only received it. I'm innocent. And when I was going through the heat of it, I began to think those thoughts and completely lost perspective. Because over the course of my walk in God's church, over the course of 30 years of ministry, sadly, and yet honestly, I've done my share of injuring as well. So what we need is honesty, what we need is forgiveness. And those are the pathways so that we move forward and that we don't move to despair. Now some would say, Todd, it's really not so much about the other sheep, it's about the shepherd. He didn't help me. He didn't protect my loved one. He didn't respond when I called out. And if that's you or if that's somebody in your relational world, can I just say you'd be in good company if you have those thoughts or feelings because the psalmist sure did. Psalm chapter 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just not listening, you've literally turned your back, like I don't exist. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Psalm 74, one, oh God, why have you rejected us? First person, plural, forever. Why does your anger smolder against, and here's even our, our theme, the sheep of your pasture? God, why are you not just not helping us, you're hurting us. And when we read passages like this, by the way, one thing I would just like to infuse is that if you felt like you're the only one who's ever been hurt deeply by God, I'm just gonna say this in a nice way, get in line. I'm not in any way minimizing the pain, please don't hear that, but I'm just saying There are people who've been following Yahweh for centuries who have felt like he's turned his back on them. This is a reality. And so within this concept, this idea of the shepherd not paying attention, the shepherd even being the source of hurt, it's something that we have to realize, man. And I'm gonna say this, by the way, it's the same God who's being accused of this who put this in his book. That's pretty powerful. He's not trying to hide stuff. He's not trying to make you think, nobody's ever thought this about me before. It's right there for you and me to read. By the way, a powerful thing, I meant to say this earlier. I am getting ready for this week's topic of spiritual abuse, church hurt, feeling just uh, disregarded by God. I had a powerful conversation earlier in the week with a therapist, a Christian therapist who attends our church. And it was just the whole conversation, we talked for an hour, it was so rich. But one of the things that especially bubbled up to me is where, and by the way, a lot of experience working with people in this area of trauma. So it's not like I've read a lot or I've heard, I mean, these are people, clients that he's been working with. And one of the, he said a very profound thing. He said, in other types of difficulty, in other types of trauma, people's faith actually might grow. People's faith should grow because they're leaning into God and they're finding comfort from his people so that they can actually be bolstered when it's been some other kind of challenge. 
But he said, but this category makes it unique and difficult because the very resources that people need the most being their relationship with God and their relationship with his church are the places from which they feel that's where the attack has come. It's not safe. I can't go there for help. And I really appreciated his perspective on that, that all the more what you need most is what you are most fearful of. Man, that's, that's a tension for sure. And this is, this is why this stuff is so important that we talk about, not just the idea of, of what other people have felt, but what you may walk into someday as well. Let's clarify some terms. I've thrown out terms like church hurt. This is a working definition of that. Defined as physical, emotional, spiritual, or psychological pain that has been inflicted on a member of a church or religious community from leaders or other members. Kind of what you'd expect. Spiritual abuse is nuanced a little differently. It's that which happens when a spiritual authority that being the operative key word, when a spiritual authority such as a cult leader or abusive pastor seeks to control individuals and ensure obedience. So when I say these terms, church hurt, spiritual abuse, that's what I'm referring to. And by the way, when you think about this whole thing, we would, we would all understand, it would be understandable why someone coming into a local church, maybe for the first time, come to Christ, they're hearing that this is what it is to be a part of the family of God. Maybe they've moved into a new area looking for a church with whom to belong because that's what God calls us to do is connect to family members. It would make sense that when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and when you trust me, you can go out into pasture and come back safely. When you lean into me, I'm gonna provide for you. I'm leading you into streams of water and grass that is lush. And when you look to me, I'm giving you, I'm the source of abundant life. When you hear those kinds of promises from God and you're a part of his church, but only to have either him or his church treat you poorly, it's no wonder that people go, man, there's a huge disconnect for me. This is not what I was, quote, sold. This is very, very different. And Paul would say the same. Paul would say that when we act in a way that is not according to Jesus's example, not according to what's transforming in our lives, then we're no different than who we used to be. First Corinthians chapter three, verse three, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Look at this last line. Are you not acting like mere humans? Man, that statement should mean something to you and me because it means Paul expects them to act better than mere humans. Again, not because they're so religious, but because they have the spirit of God that indwells them. They have the reality of the cross of being freed and forgiven from sin. They have the word of God. They have the community of believers. They have so many resources to no longer act like they used to. So he says, why are you acting like you used to? Mere human beings. God has given you everything to be so much more. By the way, before we move away from understanding the issues better, we'd be wrong to think 
that issues related to church hurt only relate to the people in the congregation and not the leaders of a congregation. It goes both ways. The reality, we'll look at this later today, the entire book, literally, you just take a few minutes to read the book of 2 Corinthians, and it is from one idea, from one chapter to another, of Paul having to deal with a local church who is absolutely disrespecting him, who is absolutely just degrading him, who is absolutely just turning their back on who had been their spiritual father. He started the church at Corinth, shot down his authority and his gifts. The whole book he's working out of church hurt from the people that he led to Christ. It is a powerful book on this topic. And because it's not out of a vacuum then when he's writing to one of his protégés, Pastor Titus, that he says these words. Titus chapter two, verse seven. In everything, set them, the congregation, your local church, an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and sound of speech that cannot be condemned. Watch this line. So that those who oppose you not from your community, not from the island of Crete where he served, from your church. Those who oppose you from your church may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul, because of what he'd experienced, he was helping guys like Timothy and Titus be very aware what under shepherds, what pastors and elders knew then 2,000 years ago and what they know today, sheep bite. Be careful. And there is more than one former vocational minister. Can I say this? There's an exponential number of vocational ministers through the pandemic who have not just left their church they've left their faith. This goes both directions and it's really important we understand the topic. Let's move from understanding to fortifying our own faith. Number two in your notes, devastating loss and church hurt are trials that intend to strengthen faith, not destroy it. Devastating loss and church hurt are trials that intend to strengthen faith, not destroy it. A very well-known passage on the topic of trials we have to familiarize ourselves with often. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So many things. These are three verses of gold in my life, and they should be in yours, that help us make sense of and try to gain understanding, God, you're up to something, what is it? And so within this concept, though we could look at many things, I just want to draw your attention to two things. Number one, what are trials? What, what does that mean and what do they look like? And number two, why does my faith have to be tested? Isn't it just enough to believe? Think of all the things out there in the world that are calling on you just to believe that they are true, believe that they are, exist. And they are absolutely doing cartwheels when that's all you give is a scent. Yep, 
I believe that's true. Yep, I believe that exists. We're good. The Christian faith, belief needs to be tested. So why, what is the, the point of that? Well, let's look into this. And I wanna be careful, by the way, as we even talk about this subject today of, of church hurt or spiritual abuse or, or the idea of just feeling as though God is the punisher. Can I remind you of something? Not everyone who has experienced these things walks away from their faith. I wanna be very clear about that. Some people do. That's why we're doing this series and we're trying to understand. But there are so many people, many people in this space, by the way, you watching online, hello, forgot to say hello, but you watching online, you've experienced these same things. And you have not walked away from your faith. Over time, your faith has been strengthened. I stand on this stage and of all four of the things that we're gonna look at about why sheep are tempted to stray, this is the one. This is the one that I have dealt with the most. And I'm standing before you today in brokenness through that, but also very healed through that. And with a faith that has grown exponentially and trusting in who God is, even when it was absolutely brutal. So let's be very careful not to make an assumption that when somebody goes through a time when they feel attacked by God or his people that they automatically leave. That's in no way true. But if you start having conversations with people, you will find that often this will be one of the reasons why they do. Let's look at this word uh, trial. What is a trial and, and, and what sense of it can we make? This is a powerful thing. When we think of trial, right, we usually think of words like synonyms would be difficulty. You might use a, a euphemism. I'm in a valley. <laughs> I'm getting my butt kicked right now, you know. This, this, these are the ways we'd want to say that in a more pleasant way. But the reality is, is that times of great difficulty. Here's what's fascinating. That is, that is, I think, categorically true. But the interesting thing is, in the New Testament that you're holding, originally written in Greek, the very same word that is translated as trial is equally translated as temptation. Hmm. That, that, those seem like different things. A trial, like we just read, for the goal of growing and maturing faith, and a temptation seems like something very different. Let's look in your notes. We'll give a little distinction. A trial in your notes is something that comes from God with the goal of proving faith that is present and maturing it. That's the goal of a trial. It comes from God. He's the author of it. And he's wanting to grow and mature your faith. Conversely, temptation is something that comes from Satan with the goal of proving the power of one's flesh that would respond to enticement. Satan is the author. So here's the point. If we would say it's one in the same word in the original language that the, the New Testament was written in, how do we know if it's a trial or a temptation? You know based on who's the author. Who is the one up to testing this person, and by the way, that's what the word at its root level means. It means to evaluate, to experiment, to test. So when we say, why should my faith have to be tested? I'm gonna say inherently, it has to be. Because there's no other way that faith grows. 
the essence of what authors of either God or Satan are doing are always evaluating, developing, testing what is there. God for the, area, for the development of, of greater trust in him and more faith. Satan for the development of more trust and reliance upon yourself upon other things that are not God. Look, look at what the very same chapter we looked at a minute ago, James 1, just a few verses later, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Watch, nor does he tempt anyone. It'll never be biblically true if you say, God is tempting me to do something. That's always Satan. God might be walking you through a deep valley, through deep waters in a trial. Absolutely, that was what we first read but this author is Satan. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let me show you what's happening with trials in your life. And this may not be true of all of us, but I think it's true of many of us. That if you think about something you're going through today, or just have recently, maybe relational strain and conflict, maybe financial challenges that you're facing, things like that you don't go through once in your life. They circle around. So let's say you've gone, you're going or gone through something like that recently. Then let's do some math. Go back five years. Go back 10 years. And consider when you face something on the same topic, like relational conflict or strain or like financial difficulties, and think about how much you were freaking out about how that was gonna work out and how less, not like none, but less you're freaking out now. Well, some would argue, well, it's not my first rodeo. Todd, I've been through something like this before. No, but I'm gonna say it's more than that. Because what happened back here was the opportunity for your faith to be tested through trials, which caused, like we read in James 1, 2 through 4, a greater sense of perseverance, which led to maturity. You grew. You grew through what was difficult and God was the author of it. And so now what you're facing today you have more resource to lean into. You believe that God really is right when he says, lean not on your own thinking, your own desires, your own understanding. Instead, acknowledge me. Look to me. You've done that. So in the testing, there's perseverance that has grown. And that's exactly the point of, of James chapter one, verses two through four. Now for some when they come upon something that might be even very similar to what you encountered in your life. It doesn't end up being a trial, it ends up being a temptation. Because Satan is after failure, Satan is after self-reliance, Satan is after you relying on anything that isn't God. So let's, let's take this example of church hurt. Christian A, Christian B, could both go through a relatively similar thing. Maybe 
they were in a, the same youth group and something went down that was very brutal to the students in the group. Maybe they were serving in the same ministry here in the Victor Valley and something came down that was really, really difficult from the other members. For one, the heartache and the difficulty was there for both, but for one, it was a clamoring, a reaching out, a holding on tighter to God through it a brutal experience, but nonetheless, believing God was there and believing he wasn't gonna let them go. And as a result, their reliance and their faith in God grew. Christian B went through a very similar, not exactly the same, but a very similar situation. And as a result, reached out to grab hold of maybe a new faith system reached out because there were doubts that were there already bubbling to the top and now realizes, you know what? I knew this thing was a sham because the things had already begun doubting in my life and this gives it license. This gives it reality that I knew God wasn't who he said he was. Two people, two similar experiences, two very different outcomes. And that's what this series is so powerful about because it's not a one size fits all. It's not because one thing happens then another thing must. In your notes, God is able, he's wanting to use our pain as a means of training, of discipline to draw us closer to him, knowing that growth and maturity await through channels like trials that can be achieved no other way. Let me say it in a shorter, more condensed way. God wants to do something that he can only achieve through the pain that sometimes includes church hurt, spiritual abuse, even the feeling that he's turned his back on you. Those are hard words to hear, but folks, they're true. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Outcomes come, watch. Notice the significance of the last sentence. Discipline isn't profitable for everyone who undergoes it, only those who've been trained by it, only those who've grown through it. So discipline can happen, it can be meaningless in your life. Our trials and discipline can happen and they can be incredibly profitable and growing. I wanna take a minute to make a commercial for our speaker next week. By the way, just like the band, the 80s band proclaimed, it's the final countdown, baby. We got a week, Ali and Joe getting married this time next week, we're so excited. And as we're counting it down, we're gonna bring in a friend, a guy named Rick Langer. Rick is a Biola professor and he is an author and a speaker and a writer, you're gonna love him. I, I've known Rick for about six years and just knowing him and knowing High Desert Church, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. And what Rick is especially good at is helping people who are dealing with different worldviews know how to talk to each other in civility, maybe even a portion of kindness. And that's been incredibly huge through the pandemic, right? Even people who have the same Christian worldview that can't talk to one another, Rick has done some amazing things to facilitate meaningful conversations and understanding where the other's coming from. We actually did a really cool thing. We did a Zoom interview with a segment that's on our social media called In a Pick with Rick. By the way, 
Rickle isn't his name, so Pickle wouldn't have worked, but we were gonna try that. But pick, short for Pickle, in a pick with Rick. And what we did is we identified seven questions that you're probably having throughout this series about how to engage how to reach out to someone who's walked away from the Lord. And Rick just did an amazing job responding. You're gonna see one question per week during our series. Out on social media, click on that, watch the whole um, interview, like one question at a time. I guarantee you're gonna be well-equipped. You're just gonna be encouraged. Just like I was. You see, I'm the interviewer and I'm just reading questions and interacting a little bit, but it's, it's Rick's turn to talk. And he said a profound thing. He said that, you know, Todd, sometimes the things that we're working through that God's using to test our faith, they they appear to be things of the mind. I want you to think different on this topic. But he said often they're things of the heart. They're things of the way we feel. And we don't like to admit that because these are a lot more messy. These are a lot more difficult to work through than simply just something that you could just change your thinking on X to Y. This is more muddy. And I sat there as I was listening and I just thought about some of the stuff that I'm still working through from some of the church hurt that I've been through and he just so clearly connected a dot for me. Because I thought some of the things that I was going through primarily while I was going through them were things of the mind. God, what do you want me to learn as though there's an academic response? There's something I didn't know that now I will know and I'll be better off. And there were things about that that were true, but primarily God was doing some crazy overhauling of the heart. And it was a mess. I was a mess. Some of you are like, Todd, you're still in the, I know, I know. (laughs) And Rick was right. I wanted to say, God, you can help me with my mind and what I think. God said, Todd, I need to help you with your heart and what you feel, what you want. You want some stuff that I need to correct. I shared that with my rooted group a week ago. We're doing another pilot group of rooted. You're gonna hear so much more about it before we kick it in the fall. But I'm with my rooted group and it just kind of came out in my story as I was sharing with them. And I just realized, man, man, God, your word is so true because I have experienced what Second Corinthians, or, um, Hebrews chapter 12 says, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Watch later on for those like me who are being trained by it. Far from there far from arriving, but huge growth through incredible pain. Can we just say it again? The Bible's true. Pastor Tom, Jesus is right about everything. Man, still true, still true. And I'm gonna say this, in the middle of it, I'd say to God again and again, I have no idea how this gets redeemed. I have no idea how this is helpful to me or anyone else. But what did the passage say later on? Later on. It's a good thing just to give up on the um, spyglass and figuring it out and just go, God, later on. That's when you're gonna show me. 
Let's wrap it up. Number three in your notes. God wants you to share the comfort that you've received from him with others who need it. This is that reaching part. This is now what we do with those in our lives who've been hurt and turned their back on their faith. God wants us to share the comfort that you've received from him with others who need it. Interesting that we'd go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We've been comforted so we've been, we can comfort. We've been blessed so we can bless. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We said it already since so much of 2 Corinthians is about Paul's difficult relationship with the church he started. He's experienced a ton of church hurt in the process it makes sense that he would talk about the comfort of God because he's needed it and praise God, God provided it. And you know, this passage has been powerful to me for a long time because it's, it's helped, it's reminded me of always this idea when God moves in to provide comfort, get ready because you're gonna be able to give it away soon to someone else. We are called to be dispensers of his care and comfort in the lives of others, watch, with the comfort we've received. And you know, it's powerful. The verse, by the way, makes it really clear. You don't have to wait just for someone who's experienced the same kind of thing you've experienced to add comfort to them. It says in any kind of thing, but I will tell you there's something about the power of empathy when you've been there and you understand it and you can speak to it without putting your foot in your mouth. Can I tell you, I hate that. I'd be sitting there trying to counsel people and I would just talk and talk and they'd look at me like, you're making things worse. So I've learned one of the biggest maturities as a pastor is shut your mouth and ask good questions. And stop hurting people more. But when you've been through something-ish like it, it's amazing that the power of empathy has to communicate genuine concern, genuine comfort, and words that matter. He would hate me to tell you this, but it's been just such an encouragement for me to watch Pastor Kurt do this. You see, I was away for five and a half years, and during that time, I just remember the night, I remember exactly where I was sitting when Kurt called me is that the doctors have diagnosed me with cancer. I was so glad he called. I wouldn't have known. And it gave me an opportunity to pray for him, opportunities to check in and just ask, how's today? I was so grateful for that. But I will tell you, I have now on more than one occasion been in an environment with Kurt where he's talking to people that are going through it. It might not be specifically cancer, but health-related things. He's amazing. I just stand in awe. You said everything that needed to be said right now. So when I'm in those situations, I just go, Kurt has something to say. Because it goes so much better. I haven't experienced a lot of those hurdles and challenges in the world of health. But like I've told you tonight, I've experienced them in the world of church hurt. And in it, 
as we were working through the challenges that we face in our last church. The thing that would have made it in some ways even more containable, maybe it's the right word, more, I don't know what the right even word is, livable, was if it would have just been contained to Joanna and I. But man, my older girls saw every moment. Aliyah and Kendi walked it with us. And I will just tell you, I was so concerned about how this was gonna negatively impact them. There was a, a poignant moment when Aliyah and I were just sitting talking together and she said, Dad, now I understand why people leave the church. As a kid who's raised in a pastor's home, she's seen a lot of things. She's getting ready to graduate from college. She's a young adult and this is the understanding she's coming to. So I told you, Joanne and I were deeply concerned for her and Kendi, but what we could do is we could pray. We talked a lot, but we knew prayer was gonna be the most powerful thing. And they were both going away. They were in college together, two different colleges in the same town for only one year. It was that next year. And between what they both received and wild things, they'd call us and say, you'll never believe what we talked about in my class today. They went to the same church, a church we love called Bayside up out of Sacramento. And they would say, dad, you'll never believe what the message is about today. And it was all things to bold, to, to build and to bolster their faith. And Joanne and I were just so grateful that we had great allies who we could say, not every church has a pocket of people who go after their leaders. And they realized that we were right. They knew it, by the way, from growing up here. That was very clear. We'd allude back to our HDC experience a lot. But then they got to live it at another church and it was powerful. And I was so grateful that they got to see and hear those things. And it wasn't just us saying things, but they realized, no, maybe mom and dad are right. One of the things as we were going through it, I know Joanna and I said long before we got to being whatever the end of that season was, I know Joanna and I talked about, prayed about, God, you're no doubt gonna give us opportunities to speak into other people's lives, to be a source of 2 Corinthians 1, a source of comfort. God has already in just a short time already provided numerous opportunities. And I'm really grateful for that. We don't have all the solutions. We don't just do this, this, that, you'll be good. But by the way, I just want you to know again how grateful I am for High Desert Church. Pastor Jack walked me through that entire two-year period, every step of the way. I reached out or they reached out to me, Pastor Tom, when I was feeling like I don't know how I'm gonna forgive people. And just the way that Tom can, Tom said, Todd, you better be careful with that because Jesus forgave people from a cross. I was like, yeah, you win, you're right. Pastor George, Pastor Kurt, all of them were what I'd say were a part of our care team. And they were giving to us the kind of comfort they'd received. Man, I'm so grateful for this church in so many ways. In your notes, would you do that? Would you be a person who is committed to share the comfort that you've received from the struggles you've faced in order to be a source of healing and help? in order to be a source of healing and help for those who are suffering and straying. 
And by the way, I told you we do this at the back of your notes. We have a sort a list of resources of things I've alluded to today. I have one more before we're done. It's a great book called Healing Your Church Hurt. An author you might know from other settings named Stephen Mansfield. He writes a powerful book about himself, not other people's faith, his own. And the tagline is great. What to do when you still love God, but have been wounded by his people. If this would be helpful to you, helpful to someone in your oikos, look it up on Amazon, buy it, give it to them. And lastly, as we conclude, beyond having the comfort of God's people, beyond having God's word, beyond having books I could read, I also spent some great time with a Christian counselor. Man, that was so rich. I'd never done that. I've been telling people to go see Christian counselors for decades. I didn't think I had the occasion to go until then and I knew I was ready. And my good friend Kevin walked me through some really powerful things because it was simple as this. If that doesn't get dealt with, it's gonna follow you everywhere you go. So it needed needed to get worked out. If that would be helpful to you, if that would be helpful to the people in your oikos who are struggling or have even left their faith, can I tell you, we have a list of Christian counselors that we let people know about all the time. Reach out to us here at the church. We'll make sure we get that to you. There are people in your life who have been deeply wounded by God's people. Would you this week, the people on your card, would you be praying, God, work in their lives, even if it's not me that you use, but I'm available and watch and see how he uses you this week. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for who you are, grateful that when there are wounds, you bind them. Grateful that when there are tests of faith or for purpose and good, our growth and maturity that we couldn't get to any other way. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a good father. You know so much better than we do. Keep growing our trust, our confidence in who you are, even when we go through deeply difficult times. You may be here today and you would say, Todd, I have felt beat up in all kinds of ways. Maybe it's been God's people. Maybe it's been feeling forsaken by God himself. Maybe it's none of those things. It's just been a train wreck for whatever reason. Can I tell you there's a God that you might not have reached out to yet. There's a God who is waiting and inviting you home, inviting you to be his. Would you A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? It begins with a recognition of that reality. Would you be believe that Jesus is the only savior available that we talked about people being hurt. Let's be reminded that God sent his one of a kind son and hurt him for you. Hurt him for me at the cross. All of our sin laid on him, punished and afflicted for our good. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus and Jesus, thank you that you were obedient. Would you see, choose, choose to say, Jesus, I'm putting my confidence in what you've done for me, not what I can do for you. And I wanna live my life following your example. No matter mountaintops or valleys, you're the one I'm hanging on to. God, this week, heal up the places that we're hurting. God, use us as healers 
with your Holy Spirit in the lives that we interact with. And we pray, God, that sheep that are struggling would come back and be included in the fold. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.